All right. So let's see what I got here in my notebook. I've got prayer. Yep. Check that. Worship. Yep. Got that too. Fasting. Not a lot of fun, but got that. Bible study. Oh yeah. Got that. Well, wait a minute here. Leadership. Well, all these things that I just talked about, Bible study, fasting, worship, and prayer, we all think that's, hey, that's the Christian life in a nutshell. But the thing that we are lacking today is leadership. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. We've got a very special guest. He has spent 20 years in the United States Air Force as a senior NCO. His name is Nathan Coy, and he is the host and the creator of the Wartime Leadership Podcast. And we're going to be talking about this thing that's lacking, that's so much needed in these very confusing, difficult, and stressful times. And we're also going to talk about spiritual resiliency. You're not going to want to miss this. And there he is from his studio in Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs> yes. The, the headquarters of the Wartime Leadership Podcast. It is Nathan Coy. Nathan, welcome to the show. Man, let me tell you, your intro just gives me goosebumps. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. It is so good to finally have you on. We've talked about doing this for years. And for those of you that were at Get Revelation Rock Fest 2023 in Charleston, Nathan was on stage and got to speak and talked about his podcast and and what he does. And it's so awesome to have a brother in the Lord who's podcasting and covering a topic that is so very needed today. It's one that a lot of people don't understand, and we really need to get a grasp on it so that we can fix some things. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you are the, both the creator and the host of the Wartime Leadership Podcast. Nathan, what is the focus of the Wartime Leadership Podcast? You know, Glenn, first off, thank you, brother, for having me on. I know that we have been trying for years. We've known each other. We we invested into each other. And now finally we get to sit down in this moment here and now uh, and stand the wall for one another because that's the biggest thing that I have found is um, in active duty military life, resilience is so difficult. We, we know how to say physically do this. We know how to say socially do this. Uh, mentally, here's how you prepare yourself. Spiritually, that's it. Like that, that's the, the, the entirety of what it looks like to be spiritually resilient. And so I've taken it to a new level. Uh, it's having conversations, simple conversations like this, where individuals, we just, we just talk. It's, I'm not pushing the buttons. I'm not, I'm not trying to thumb people. I'm, I'm creating relationship in the same way that Christ uh, had a relationship with us and wants to have a relationship with us. A lot of those came from just simple conversations. Uh, the one that I have in my head right now is Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, you know, for I'm going to dine with you tonight. That was a huge start because Zacchaeus was a, somebody that was looked down to down upon in society. Yes, he was very rich, right? He had the money, uh, but he didn't have the relationship with people because he was a tax collector. And so mm -hmm. Christ just wanted to have that conversation. And, and that's where it started was just from this idea of people are afraid to talk about what resilience or spiritual resilience looks like in their lives. 
So what we did is, is I came up with this concept and it has started to work. And my producer, uh, Jeff Frazier, G Frazier with 369sounddesigns.com. Uh, he, he is somebody that I've known for a few years. And here's the cool thing. He's atheist. How can I, as a Christian, have a conversation with an atheist? It's easy. We're friends. We communicate. Mm -hmm. We talk. We have the conversations. And that's how the Wartime Leadership Podcast was developed. It's just conversations. People just need to be talked with, not at, not to, not down, but with. Love them where they are. Christ loved me uh, where I was, but he loved me way too much to leave me there, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is really important to realize. And um, your microphone's kind of going in, in and out a little bit. So if you could move it a little bit closer so we can get the answers to the rest of these questions. There, there we go um, that we have this evening, because this is such a very important topic. And I like what you said about conversations with people instead of just preaching at them, ta uh, talking at them, telling them this is right, this is wrong. It's that relational aspect. And that is something that is so lacking in many churches, many church circles today. And we do the same thing over here when we are working with different artists. We are opening up the table. And I know that some people have realized that not all of the music artists that we bring on this live stream are Christians. And that's okay because we're having a conversation and some of them I'm friends with and that's okay uh, because it's not like I'm turning over a pulpit to somebody, but I'm giving them the opportunity to speak and to express what they want to express because a lot of things that they have to say are very important as well. It's yeah, listening. 100%. Yeah, exactly. You know, this whole thing of wartime leadership, when it comes into people's minds, it's very possible that they might be thinking that, Oh well, this is a military podcast. You know, I need to I need to think about war and and being a soldier, an officer, or an NCO in the military. But it's so much more than that. The wartime leadership mindset. How does that transfer over into other spheres of influence? To let's say music, arts and entertainment, education, and even the ministry of the gospel. Yeah, fantastic question. You know, I. <laughs> I looked at some of the questions that you were sending over to me and, and I decided to shut it down because I want to come from the heart in a lot of these uh, of, of what I'm going to say. Wartime leadership, yes, it, it is built on the premise of the pillars of military leadership, because when I look at military leaders, that's where I see a lot of those traits that I have experienced, as well as what I want to instill in others. But it goes a lot further than the battleground. You see, every single day we are in a battle, right? We are in a battle spiritually. We're in a battle uh, for resilience, for mental stability. All of these different aspects are, are really wars that we're, we're sitting in day in and day out. The wartime leadership mentality actually started uh, from this idea of prepare for war. What did I do as a military member to prepare myself, my team, those that I was going to lead, those who I served under, what was I going to do to prepare them to go in and win the battle? A lot of the time, and you know this from your experience, a lot of the time is that you have to practice like you play, right? Like you yes. have to practice like you're going to go out there and you're going to do it on the battlefield every single day. You get into this muscle memory idea. You get into this muscle memory where as long as I'm doing it, I'm going to, I'm going to gain a knowledge in my muscles to be able to produce the same result 
time and time again. Mm-hmm. In that same mindset, prepare for war. What do we do? We go through training. We do scenario training. We do our, and everybody hates it, CBTs, right? Computer-based training every <laughs> single year. And it's yeah. the same answers no matter what. But it's doing something. It's preparing you to go through those motions so that when something happens, not if, when something happens, we tick into play those same steps. So prepare for war. We prepare our minds. We, we look at our maps. We prepare our maps for the destination that we're going to go serve, the AOR, area of responsibility that we're going to jump into. Uh, from that, we go into the fog of war. After we are done preparing for war, we must now act out in a fog of war. And what that says is that on, on the lowest level, I am doing my job, the task that is right there in front of me. And then as I go up in rank, I elevate in that. So now I elevate above my uh, people who I serve, and I look down and I can see them working. And if they're having issues, I come down to where they are. I help them with those problems. But then I quickly elevate myself and bring myself back up. And we do that with every tier of responsibility the further and further that we go. Now, if I'm on that third tier, I don't look down at the bottom tier and go, ooh, I got to go down and help them. And I surpass that supervisor that I have below me, right? And I don't go down and do the work and then pull myself out because I'm cutting off the legs of that individual who's right below me. You, you, you you, You can't do that because you have given them, you've empowered them. Because when you do that, they now don't feel like they have the ability to be able to do that. After we get out of the fog of war, after we're serving in each of these different levels, and this is a very easy or very easy, quick way of looking at this. It goes a lot deeper than what I'm saying. But now we go to rest and relaxation. I, as a leader, must go to every single level, and I always started at the bottom, right, to the workers, the people who are doing the hard deeds day in and day out. I, I get a, a, an after-action report from them, and I go, okay, what, what can we do better? What did we do right? What's this going to look like? Okay, now go be with your families. I go to my next level, my NCOs, my non-commissioned officers, and do the exact same thing. Let them go. And I do that all the way up the tiers till eventually I'm the one that's giving my actor action report to myself. And then I finally release myself to go have time with the family, uh, relax, recoup, regenerate, right? Well, what's that look like with wartime leadership going forward we do this every single day we are battling on so many different fronts more often than not that they start to overlap one another and we get lost in this haze of what it looks like to serve in the moment and to know where one battle ends and another one begins what that looks like so this idea of spiritual resiliency falling into that warrior mindset the warrior ethos is easy to translate over into uh, the everyday world, and I think it's a comp- it, it can be accomplished at every and in every situation that we're placed in. You just described the Christian life when you described everything about warfare, and I want everybody to understand that. And please share this live stream with anybody that has been called to Christian ministry, with anybody that's been called to. You know, I, my musicians, I'm going to be sending this this link out to all of the musicians that I've worked with over, over the years because this is so applicable because it is the Christian life. 
you talked about, I, I took a couple notes here, the area of responsibility, the AOR. Paul talks about our own individual AORs or areas of responsibility, our metrons, our spheres of influence, our lanes that we're supposed to be in. The fog of war, the everything that's going on around you on multiple fronts. We've got this unseen realm that's fighting us. And then we've got things that we see that we have to deal with on a daily basis. There are so many battles on a daily basis that we have to deal with. Then you're talking about the different levels, the different tiers. And that's what happens. God does promote leaders. And those are the leaders that I will follow is the ones that Mm -hmm. God promotes, not the self-promoters that are out there. And it's once you master these different levels, God will move you to the next level of leadership. And the whole thing about preparation, Nathan, I think we could do an entire evening for like four hours talking about preparation because people don't do that anymore. They just don't. We are a very relaxed, reactive society. And unfortunately, that laziness has creeped over to the church where it's like, well, we'll just kind of roll with it and then blame the devil and complain about how bad life is because, oh, he got me again. And, you know, I'm just going to sit here and pout because of the way things are. So all of these things you just talked about, everything in military leadership, and you have to understand when you go back and take a look at the Old Testament for people, I'm just trying to draw a nexus for everybody. When you take a look at the Old Testament, you see all of these military uh, structures, terms, the way things are set up. God designed things that way. And then even in the New Testament, when the Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal his son, he, Jesus was like, I, I've never seen such faith. And and he was like, I, I understand authority. And that's really what it comes down to. So all of this stuff, man, this is Bible and it is military. And that's the wartime leadership mindset. So before we talk about everything else that we're going to talk about in detail, where can people get more of this good teaching information from? Where can they listen to the Wartime Leadership Podcast? And I understand that you're getting ready to start your third season now, too. Yes. Yes, we are. And I'm announcing it here live uh, for the very first time. My producer, I talked to him this afternoon just to warn him, just in case. Uh, The wartime leadership podcast.com so you can go to any platform we are on absolutely every single platform we just streamed to our 50th country uh we're averaging still even though i haven't produced an episode in four months uh we are still averaging six thousand streams an episode uh which wow. is absolutely amazing uh never knew i was gonna hit that one time we were averaging ten thousand an episode so uh I've I've been I've been in the middle of retirement, uh, going through some life changes, and so the time just wasn't aligned to be able to to set up. But I've got four episodes in the can, ready to go. So nice. we're airing up for our third episode. So any anywhere that you look, uh, any of your podcast streams, just look up the Wartime Leadership Podcast, and it will take you right to them. <laughs> hey, and and Glenn. One second. I, I want to hit something that you went off on, and, and I love it. Uh, in the music industry, especially the Christian ministry, uh, if we look at wartime leadership, people are going to go, well, it's a band. Like, where, where's the leadership portion of that? 
look at the people that have to come around in that environment in a band, not just the performers, not just the individuals who are leading praise and worship. Yes, it's praise and worship no matter what it sounds like because it's leading people to the cross, which is what praise and worship actually is. So mm-hmm. uh, you look at the crews that have to come around, the battles, because when they're on stage, they're dealing with so much because they have to deal with everything back home. Uh, their families, their kids, their spouses, people, you know, being away for long distance times, that's a war in itself. And yes. then you're you're having to travel to this city, which is four hours away and travel back. Or sometimes you're you're traveling across the country, doing a tour through the Midwest, you know, whatever that looks like. Those are different levels. But it takes leadership in order to be able to actually navigate a lot of those things that we're going through, because then you have the crowd that you're you're singing to and that you're praising and worshiping with, right? And and in that aspect, there's so many different levels from the stagehands that are having to tear down stuff and get that system put together so that they can get the show moved over to the next city to all these. And praise and, praise and worship music comes in so many different forms. And I know your platform, Glenn. I've, I've listened to you for years and I know the bands that you talk to. I know what kind of people they are. And, and I think that people have a hard time of seeing Christ sometimes uh, in the music that's being yes. performed. But I th- just like myself, I come out of a generation listening to Metallica, Korn, Kid Rock, System Down, Power Man 5000, like these, these heavy, non, obviously non-Christian groups. My heart did not just immediately turn to Amazing Grace, and it was a great, you know, atmosphere to be in right it didn't immediately shift to that but rather now i have an avenue where i get to listen to and i invest here into my heart the type of music that i long for yes to have that same messaging coming across that's a war that i have for years right wow wow what you said is just so relevant and and poignant because all of the band members and the leaders of the bands that I've had to work with, they are leaders. They are leading their people on stage. They are leading, they are up there as a role model. Why do you think the media is pushing Miley, uh, not Miley Cyrus, but uh, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift right now. All right. If I see one more Taylor Swift thing, I think I'm going to, to, to scream, but, they're pushing it so that that's this is the person that we want to influence you. So when you're on a stage and you're on a platform as a musician, you are a leader, not just of that band, but you're leading the people that are in your sphere of influence. That's why you have to get it together. And I think that's why at churches, a lot of times they call them worship leaders. Uh, I, I think that's I think that's where the title really does mean something with that. And the other thing too, Nathan, you saw it for three years down in Charleston. Get Revelation Rock Fest wasn't just, hey, let's go out and jam at the Hanahan Amphitheater. That was a huge operation with a lot of moving parts and a lot of moving pieces. And there's a lot of Get Revelation Rock Fest that I don't remember because I was running around dealing with the issues and the fires that needed to be put out during the event. Uh, It was fun to watch the videos this year because I got to see (laughs) a little bit more of what the event is actually like. And I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. God used us to do that. But it's a leadership thing to do that and to lead that many bands and to lead a staff 
that's doing that. And then to influence others to sow into it. It's all about leadership and it is warfare. Anything worth doing or having, Nathan, I would say there's warfare involved in it. Oh, 100%. Oh my goodness. And and here's the thing is is the enemy is going to try to attack. That's why right before we came on here, folks, um, Glenn and I had a prayer moment, right? Like we took time to, to bless over our microphones, to bless over our cameras, uh, the technology that we're using. And why did we do that? Because we know that the, you know, the fight is not against flesh and blood. We know where the battle's going to be. It's going to come in the form of a glitch. It's going to come in the form of a sound break in the in the microphone. We know where these are going to come from, and so we pray over them very specifically. We use the tools that we've been given, uh, the Holy Spirit, to come down and speak through the microphone. We we pray through the technology that we are having trust and faith to fully operate in a way that we can bring this to you to have this conversation, right? I mean, Glenn, that is warfare. And I will tell you that it was bigger than just Rockfest. It was bigger than just the people who were sitting in the amphitheater. Uh, Where where it's located, folks, is is right along the river or right along the, uh, the, the reservoir, right? There's people who were traveling on that reservoir that were hearing the music, hearing the message that was coming around and and that's just another opportunity. That's just a seed being planted. That's just water being applied. That's just fertilizer being fallen down. It, it may not have, have changed the moment for that person in there, but it probably allowed a little bit of a seedling to be seen through. Because I think we too often get caught up in in the uh, in the harvest, right? We get mm-hmm. we get caught up in I want to be a part of the harvest. I want to be a part. I want to see the change. I want to you know interact. But you have to understand that your role, and and this is one thing I think leaders find very hard to 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 eat, is the idea of I don't have to be in charge at all times. Mm-hmm. I have somebody who's a specialist in that, and I need to allow them to lead in that. I am not a sound guy. I am not a producer. I I would make my podcast sound absolutely horrible. Now, Jeff, G, he is very good at it. So I allow him to use his talents, treasures that he's been given to to create the sound that we have. Glenn, you have a completely different audience than me. I am allowing you to use your audience for us to come together in this moment to produce a good conversation. Yes. So each of those opportunities is a seed, is a bit of water, is some fertilizer. It looks different, and eventually the harvest will come. You don't have to be a part of the end game, but you need to be a part of and be in the game, right? Yes, yes, yes. And that's the one thing about leaders is they take risks. There's a lot of risk in being a leader. Uh, a lot of times you'll find yourself out there and you'll look behind you and you're like, where was everybody that was with me last week at this point in time? And that's why it's so important to continue to communicate the vision of what you have because God gave it to you. But you're out there in the forefront and with leaders, you're not going to see the results right away. It might be 20, 30 years that you see the results and you have to be perfectly okay with that because you're pioneering something that in a lot of instances, has not been done before. Um, I had lived in Charleston for 30-some-odd years, and I had never seen an outdoor Christian music festival until we started doing that down in Charleston. And 
as you know, Charleston's a rough music market. That is, you know, unless it's uh, Jimmy Buffett cover band or, you know, you're serving margaritas in the afternoon. It's it's a very difficult draw in Charleston, but we did it and God sustained it for three years for his purposes, for planting those seeds that were going on there. And we'll see the harvest of that in the future. And there'll be a return on that in the future as well. But being a leader is difficult. You're taking risks. You're out there at the forefront. It takes courage to be a leader. And with that being said, what, Nathan, would you say really qualifies a person to be a leader? Because a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I got a a lot of knowledge or I want people to be like me and I want them to follow me or I want power. I want influence. Really, besides all that garbage and most of that is garbage, what is it that qualifies somebody to be a leader? The one thing, Glenn, the one thing, a leader is not somebody who's, you must lead yourself first, right? You need to know what your limitations are. You need to know where your expertise lies. You need to know those things. But the only way a leader is a leader is if they have someone following them. Mm. If, if you don't have anybody following you, then you are just out on a walk by yourself. <laughs> you you're, you 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 have to you have to commit yourself to leading people to a group of individuals to one or more individuals that will be behind you that will be supporting you that you can support in time. Um, I I describe leadership like this. Imagine that I'm I'm a I'm an avid runner. I love running. Let me go out for ten miles. It, it'll clear my mind. It'll be everything right. So imagine you're on a on a on a run. Okay. And you're out with your group, with your team, and you're looking at them and, and you're you're running in front of them and you're being that that example of what it looks like, you know, like come follow me, and then you take off running. Well, I know I'm a better runner than most of the people who work with me. And mm-hmm. and all it's gonna end up having is I'm gonna be on a run by myself and and leave everyone behind with no leadership whatsoever, and I won't see. Whereas if it's on the flip side, if I'm pushing them. And I'm in, you know, hey, get going. Let's go. Let's go. We got to get to our destination. We got to get to our mission. We got to we got to propel ourselves and be better and continue to push them. I know that as a leader, more than likely, I'm going to push them too far and they'll fall down because I have no way to catch them. As a leader, I pull myself out to the side. I run alongside. I take the time to get to know. I push them when they need it. But when I push too far, I'm there to catch. See, Glenn, I think that we're too afraid. Leaders are too afraid uh, to let their people fail, and they, they try to get in the way way too much. Mm-hmm. And me as a leader, what I'm trying to do is, is I want them to skin their knees. I want them to, to skin their knees a little bit because that shows growth. That continues that growth. And as, as leaders today, we don't want that. We want to give them everything they need to be successful instead of letting them find it on their own sometimes. But if I push too far and I don't catch them, they will fall and bust their face. Yep. Busting their face is, is mission failure. Whereas if I allow them to skin their knees, they're learning. They're, they're engaging. They know now how not to do it like they just did. That's the leadership that we need to look for, and that's that's the aspects that we fail more often than not. Failure is yeah. fine. Let it let it be natural, though. <laughs> 
Well, you, you've been in the military long enough to remember the zero fail mentality mm-hmm. oh, where yeah. this cannot fail. And me as the leader, if I see any signs of failure about ready to occur, I need to get in there right away and I need to fix it so that it does not fail. And really what that does is that that is not a leadership environment. It's not an environment for growth. And you know, you've probably heard this in the Air Force over and over again. When you're leading, you're actually training your replacement. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Glenn, listen, uh, last week was my last week in the active duty side. I've, I've now stepped into SkillBridge where I'm, I'm working in industry uh, in civilian clothes, you know, growing facial hair, doing things like that. Uh, and I've been away from my team for a week now. And that was the hardest thing because I thought I was irreplaceable. And in reality, I had trained them so well that they picked up the baton and they have now continued to carry it on. I, you are not replaceable. And if you, if, so nobody can replace you as a person, but they should be able to replicate the skill set that you bring to the team. That should be the goal because if, if you are not replaceable, you have made yourself that way and not the team. Now, on the flip side, there are certain missions that we do that must be no fail, right? Uh, I worked Air Force One for four and a half years at Andrews. I was stationed at Andrews, working Air Force One. That right there is an absolutely no fail mission. But here's the thing. Nobody came to that team brand new. Mm-hmm. They went through trials. They went through tribulations. They went through the active duty lifestyle for years until they got to a point where they were doing it and replicating it day in and day out to then be able to do the mission no fail mm-hmm. it, it didn't happen overnight it didn't happen without training and they still had to be observed whenever they arrived in order to ensure that they were going to be able to do it no fail but they all were at their prime in that deal now that re- relate that back to the church right a, yeah. a new church starting out, a new a new uh, church plant is going to have failures along the way until they figure out the battle rhythm that they're entering. And that even as a Christian, you're going to fail. I fail every single day. My wife mm-hmm. reminds me of that a lot, but <laughs> I fail every single day in that sense. It's it's the Christian walk. It's the walk that, that we have you know placed ourselves on is still that idea and aspect of failure. It won't be mission failure, but we have to be okay with the failures that we make and continue day in and day out to ask God, just, you know, rejuvenate me, take me back, forgive me because I failed. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're saying about Air Force One, let's let's equate that back to what the Apostle Paul said about elevating novices in key important positions. Don't don't do it. Yep. You're not going to put an airman just out of basic training out of, uh, is it Lackland Air Force Base mm-hmm. in charge of Air Force One? It'd be an absolute disaster. You don't do that. They have to be those seasoned people. And unfortunately, this is what I've seen in the church is you get somebody that comes in, a, a new believer, they're all fired up and God's revealing stuff to them and they're studying the scripture and there's a lot of stuff going on. They're evangelizing and they're all of a sudden thrust into this leadership position and they get a big head really quick. It's like, oh, I'm a leader. Um, no, you're you're not. You've got leadership traits and you've got leadership skills, but dude, 
I, you still can't f- lead yourself out of a wet paper bag right now. <laughs> uh, you know, it's great that you got all that stuff. So that really leads to the question, you know, why does it take God so long to develop somebody as a leader? You know, I re- <laughs> I've been through leadership training ever since I was in, you know, I've been in a military environment most of my life, starting in high school. I really didn't start to understand leadership until about 10, 15 years ago and start to see it come together. Why does it take so long? Why does God make it so that it takes so long for somebody to be put into a leadership position? I, I think a leader? lot of it is experience, right? We We need the experience to come alongside. So, it's actually funny. I was talking about this at work today. So there is this idea of andagogy versus pedagogy. Andagogy is the adult way of learning, whereas pedagogy is how we teach children. Pedagogy is we walk you step by step by step how to do something. Andagogy is I add my personal experience to it. It, it connects to here mm-hmm. with what the objective is. So I along with working several really cool jobs. I was also a drill instructor, MTI, military training instructor, for four and a half years down at Lackland. Uh, That is very much a pedagogy environment. We take them and we break them completely down. We we find that, that lowest common denominator. We break everybody down to it, not to break them down, but rather to, you know, you have people coming from the Northeast that have been married for four years. They have a system down. They know how to do laundry. You take people who are 17, 18 years old out of mommy and daddy's house and they're fresh and they don't know how to do really anything. And, 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 and you have to get them all to be built up at the exact same time, right? Well, eventually people start to elevate within that, that flight to at a status where they're leading their peers. Okay, now we're starting that development trend. Take that to the andagogy side. Now, whenever I come into a new flight and I'm breaking them down and I get them down, I will bring in experiences that I have had while being deployed, right? Uh, I'll bring in stories of individuals that have committed suicide that I've known personally. I, I take these stories and I connect them to that story. It's going from the unknown mm-hmm. to the known or known unknown known because it's this this line that we want to do and it it takes them through experiences it connects my now their experiences are now my experiences and mine are now theirs where they can connect and now they see the importance of why we do things i'm not yelling at you i am not yelling at you whenever i'm forward facing you i'm not yelling at you i'm yelling at everybody so everybody learns the same lesson the exact same way at the exact same time right that's that's what that is. That's that progression. It's taking people through different stages in order to refine them. A, I, I love using the analogy of the samurai sword. Samurai okay. swords are the most, are, are the sharpest, strongest pieces of metal and the, and, and the most dangerous weapon, in my opinion. And the reason for that is y- you thrust this metal into the fire, right? The heat the turmoil, the pressure that's coming against it, you bring it out of the fire, it's, it's glowing hot, and you take a hammer and you beat it down, right? You beat that metal down just watching the sparks and the, the, the impurities come flying off of it. And then you put it into the wet, you know, into the water that, that t- kind of takes it, cools it down all of a sudden, and, 
and you do this over and over where you're folding it over and over and you're putting it through this pressure, you're putting it through this heat, it could not be the most dangerous weapon around if it didn't go through the pressures of the mm-hmm. fire. You have to walk through some stuff to be able to lead others. And when they can grab onto your knowledge and when they can grab onto and levitate to the fact that I don't know everything, I'm not an expert, I fail, it's okay to fail for you, but learn from my mistakes. That's that development of a leader over time. Our experiences will lead us to that that lead, that pathway to leadership, the, the elements that we're trying to fulfill. Some of those things you just said, I really want to highlight so that people will understand, especially Christian believers, that trial by fire, that testing, that shaping, that molding, I hear a lot of believers say, oh, I think God's mad at me today because life is difficult, or the devil's overtaking me because life is difficult. This is too difficult. No, you are being trained and you are being put in the fire to see if you can stand the test of being a leader. And it goes back to what Jesus told us to do when before he ascended into heaven. He didn't just say, go out, witness to people and, and see him saved. He said, go make disciples of the nations. And to do that requires leadership. You have to train people to be disciples. And oh, what is the key word in disciple? It's discipline, very closely related. And that discipline comes down to leading yourself. And When I taught leadership, we used to call that little A accountability, where you could take care of yourself first, and then you graduate to big capital A accountability, where you can finally be responsible for others. So what we're talking about is we're talking about the Christian experience, how it compares to military leadership. And right now, I have heard so many prophetic words, and I really believe it, that we are in a time of intense warfare both spiritually and in the world. Just take a look around you. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure out. That's where we are, and we need wartime leaders in the church that can develop and help people understand where they're at in that trial process. No, God might not be mad at you. No, it's not the devil's overtaking you, and oh, why is my life so rough? Because they said when when I'd go up to the altar that, oh, my life is going to be so much better, and it's going to be easy, and I'm going to get that Porsche that I always wanted, and Jesus is going to be my best bud. No, you just stepped into the fire, my friend. That is exactly what is happening because God wants you to be a leader, one who makes disciples. And that is true. And I want to say this very clearly for every musician that I have worked with, God has called you to be a leader to make disciples. That's why you're doing what you're doing. And that's why life has been difficult. You've got the qualities to be a leader. And you are being tested and you are being tried to bring you to that point where, you know, there will be rest. And you talked about that earlier, Nathan, where, you know, that is part of the leadership cycle where, okay, we made it through all these levels. We did all this stuff. Okay, let's take a break, take a knee, drink some water, <laughs> take a break, and then we'll get back up and and do it again. And I want to talk about resiliency because that's what your podcast is is really all about is spiritual resiliency, 
I've always defined resiliency as the the ability to bounce back after there's been a defeat to bounce back. Kind of like you remember those Super Bowls back in the 70s and 80s, you'd throw them and they just bounce. Like, yep, that's a very resilient, yeah, resilient ball. And we're living in a time right now where resiliency is key. What is resiliency? I want your definition of it. And how does it relate to leadership, especially spiritual resiliency? What are we talking about? You know what? I I am going to actually answer this. There, There's an individual I had on the show. His name was Robert Party. And his wife died from cancer and i mean she was a doctor she was she was super smart you know went through all these things and she ended up actually passing away from from cancer and it's his kind of story of how he kind of got through a lot of this he said nate resilience is the ability to bounce he said so often people say bounce back you know to, to bounce back from something to go through something to, to come back from it he said i want to think of it as the ability to bounce through to break Ooh. through a wall breakthrough so, so so i'm taking it from that perspective resilience is the ability to to break through whatever it is that is in in your pathway that is trying to hold you back now that can be yourself that can be uh, your neighbor that can be your job that can be a thing that can be your car whatever that looks like but the ability to break through whatever is in front of you trying to hold you back and in the form of spiritual resilience, this is where a lot of those conversations that I started with people really has shown through. Uh, I, I'm not going to give the individual's name. He is on the podcast. Uh, lost his son to a fentanyl overdose. A uh, little, about 18 months later, lost his wife to suicide. Uh, went through all of these things in life, and he's agnostic. Right. I'm having a conversation with an agnostic. Now, my producer is atheist. Right. Like he's agnostic. I'm Christian. And we're talking about spiritual resilience. He's gone through so much, but he started a 50 state uh, tour to, to talk about what it looks like for mental health nowadays. Mm. And he said, and after the show was done, he goes, hey, Nate, I got to be honest with you. He says, you're completely different. I'm like, well, I know I'm weird. So that's acceptable. I'll take it. He goes, no, you're different because anytime that I talk to a Christian, they always kind of damn me because of what I believe or or talk bad or or want to, to say something different or, or tell me how I need to live. He said, you're different. You have conversation. You talk with me about this. You don't talk to me, down to me, at me. He said, and I really appreciate that about you. There's a foot in the door. He said, would you mind if I called you or texted you while I'm out on the road, just if I'm having issues? I'm like, absolutely. By, by all means, do it. Contacts me one time. Hey, would you pray for me? I'm like, cool, I'll pray with you. He said, no, no, just pray for him. Kind of hung up. And there it goes. And I'm like, okay, opportunity. Prayed for him. He reaches back out a few weeks later. He's having suicide ideations. And hey, would you pray for me? He said, sure, I'll I'll pray, or he said, would you pray with me? And I said, sure, I'll pray for you. He said, no, pray with me. Relationship. Mm -hmm. Relationship committed. Resilience takes relationship. We can't do it alone. We, we cannot go through what we go through. Job, right? Job is, is someone in the Bible that I look up to, and, I, and I'm so blessed by his story. Even when everybody was coming against him, 
he still had God. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? Yes. He, he still had that relationship that was there. And that's so important that, that you, you got to connect to people. You got to have that connection in that form. That's where true resilience comes from. And especially spiritual resilience, uh, it, it doesn't, not for everybody, it doesn't look the same, right? Not okay. everybody's going to listen to music and, and, and be able to identify God in the music. Not, not everybody's going to be able to go through different things and, and see it the exact same way, right? And we can't belittle, we can't talk down, and we can't do that. We, we have to absorb a lot of that pain and agony that we, the church, the, the little C church, have put people through. And that, that Heisman, right, you know, keeping that people at arm's length for years and years and generations and generations, which has caused a lot of trauma mm -hmm. in people. We have caused more trauma, I think, than anything else out there as yeah. the little C church. And it's a time of healing. It, there has to be a time of, re, of healing, which comes in the form of resilience. Again, that's the ability to break through, to get through situations. The community aspect of resilience is so very important. There are several instances of that in Scripture, and I want to get to one in a moment. But when you're talking about resiliency and, and leadership, why is it important for a leader? Whatever sphere of influence they're in, whether it be education, business, music, arts and entertainment, uh, industry, whatever, why is it important for them why to have resiliency? Why should leaders be resilient? Because too many people depend upon you. If you show fractures, if you show the ability to break, then those who are looking at you and who are looking up to you will also. To understand that the relationship, when we start to take that pressure off mm -hmm. of a single element, right? If, if this finger was broke, completely broke, if I had had all of them together and in such a way in the form of a fist or whatever, the chances of it surviving without a break are better. So when we take and we form that fist together and then we punch the bag, we're not, we're not as likely to damage it. Mm -hmm. Those around you, your collection of individuals, your sphere of influence is just that. It allows the, the stress and the pressure to be disseminated across the entirety versus the one. Wow. If I take everything upon myself, the chances of me breaking are greater than the team breaking. But if you develop your team the correct way, if I need to take a knee, they're going to stand the wall for me, right? And at the vice versa, if they need to take a knee, if they're tired, if they need that time of rest and relaxation and they don't feel like they can take it, if we come alongside and say, I'll take the wall for you, that's just spreading. And, 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 and pulling out that, that team and letting them absorb the, the heat, the pain, yes. the, the, the fiery whatever that's being fired at them and allows me to stand the wall in their place, that's resilience. That's being able to develop and do. But you have to multiply yourself. You have to multiply it. 
Yes, absolutely. You know, everything that you're talking about is a place that the Lord led me to in Scripture this week in preparation for this edition. And I've been doing an in-depth study for the past several months on King David, and I've been in First and Second Samuel. And I heard Holy Spirit speak to me, look at Ziklag in First Samuel chapter 30. And for those that are not familiar with that account, and I want to hit some of these points that you were just talking about in this account. David was out fighting the Philistines with his men, and they come back to the city of Ziklag to find it completely destroyed. All of their wives and their children, even two of David's wives, were taken. It was just totally destroyed by the Amalekites. And it was so bad when they got there, they wept with everything that they had within them, including David. And David's men wanted to stone him. So he was by himself in this entire situation. And very, and this is the same David that was slaying thousands and tens of thousands of Philistines, and everybody was singing the praises of his name for what he was doing. And it's not that really David did anything wrong. It's a place that God purposely brought him to in his leadership preparation. Because I looked at what the word ziklag means, and it's derived from a Hebrew word that literally means a mental breaking point to draw out of you really what's on the inside. That's really what ziklag means. So in the situation where there's just a lot of people today, I think, would just be like, okay, I'm done. Um, they would choose some easier options not to deal with the situation, quit, <laughs> go find something else to do in life. And, but what David did is he encouraged himself in the Lord. And that, that is a key thing. Is he, he had to encourage himself in the Lord when everything looked like it was just completely lost. And then what he did is he sent for the, uh, the high priest, um, and there's community here. He's not by himself. He calls um, the high priest uh, to go and get, it's the high priest's name is Abiathar, to go get the ephod to inquire of the Lord what to do. And the Lord tells him, yeah, go pursue the Amalekites and you're going to get everything back. Uh, and not only that, you're going to get everything back with interest. So, so go and do it. And it was because of that relationship that he had with the high priest. I, I just found it so interesting that the high priest didn't want to stone David either. You know, so there's two of them with kind of the same heart. And they picked up and it was a great victory for the nation of Israel. And they came back with great, great spoil and everything that they had lost and nothing had been damaged. Nothing had been stolen. Uh, no, well, I mean, it had been stolen, but it hadn't been broken. It all came back just as, just as new for them. And that really, everything that you were just saying about having somebody else with you, that team, and he took a team of soldiers with him that fought with him to get that stuff back. It was a, a together uh, experience for them. Yeah, you know, in and and the cool thing is is that training comes into play because you have to train up each of your new warriors. And and I'm going to give you a verse. This is kind of the verse that is what wartime leadership is fully based on. And it is Joel 3 verse 9. And I'm sorry, I'm I'm looking it up in haste that is fine <laughs> proclaim this among the nations prepare a war rouse the mighty men let all the soldiers draw near let them come up beat your plowshares into swords and pruning hooks into spears let the weak say i am a mighty man there's another translation that says 
that, that talks about how train even your weaklings to be warriors. That's mm. where the wartime leadership mentality came from. Those, those warriors of the Old Testament did, were not warriors to start off with. They had to be trained. And there was times where they were being overran by these mighty armies, by this mighty pressure, by things that were just outside of the control of God, or, or so they thought, right? It was outside right. of their control as a human being, but not outside of the control of God. And God looked at him and said, listen, take your, your farming where, where you, your crops are brought in. Take all of your farming implements, melt them down, make them into swords, make them into pruning hooks. Train even your weaklings to be warriors. Meaning that they had to go from the weakest individuals. They had to go through the weakest, you know, and, and whenever I think weak back in that day, like I think uh, an individual that was slow of mind, an individual who uh, could, uh, was very weak, was, was like a, a little, uh, not really a shepherd because they were very strong and stuff, but individuals that were less than, or as society saw them, less than. Train even your weaklings to be warriors. Power. That should be a word of encouragement for a lot of people that are watching and that will be listening to this broadcast. Even the weaklings, if you consider yourself weak in the Lord, if you consider yourself weak just physically or even mentally, you have been called, if you have been washed in the blood of Jesus and made a new person, you have been called to be a warrior. You have been called to be a leader. Jesus, you people over here, go make some disciples. He wants all of us to go make disciples and to fight these fights. And we're not talking about talking about spiritual battles, which I find to be <laughs> probably more difficult sometimes to deal with than the physical battles because you really can't see what the other side's doing. Uh, you have been called to do that. And I want to ask this question, and this is an opinion question, no right or wrong answer to it. When we take a look at the resilience of the United States today, most people, or the resiliency of the church, where would you assess it at? Is it, could it use improvement? Is it where it should be? Or is it, uh, is, are, we, are we rocking it? What, how do you assess the resiliency of us as a country and a church right now? Train even your weaklings. <laughs> To be warriors, I, I, you know, Lynn, I am. Um, America today is not the the America that I grew up with, right? I still love her. I still love mm -hmm. America. You know, I, I still to this day fight for America. But I think that the 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 status quo, um, has become good enough. Mm. Uh, and and in that sense where we don't want to train up strong leaders in any given I, I think that we're so divided uh, along party lines in the political scheme of things uh, where if if you're one party then you can't be a Christian because of the the platforms that they believe in uh, and I think that that has continued to try to divide us more and more I think that we still have many freedoms that a lot of, I mean, obviously we have freedoms that other parts of the world do not, which is why so many people are trying to get in uh, to mm -hmm. this country to be able to better themselves. 
I think that we're still far better off than a lot of individuals out there. Now, granted, I have listeners in 50 countries, right? So I'm not talking down about any one country. I'm right. saying that currently the state of the United States maybe is not as strong as it used to be. It is still strong in the eyes of individuals because where we are divided, we also stand united in a lot of ways. I think that there is so much more that unites us as America than there is that divides us. I think yes. that we try to focus on the division because it makes good media. I think we focus on the division because it makes good news stories and it keeps us in this constant state of awareness. But the things of which both platforms or, or any platform that you stand on, the things that unite us are well outnumbering those that divide us. Um, do not be dismayed. Right. Mm -hmm. Do not be dismayed by the state of what people try to make us sound like we're in. Um, I think that there are still strong leaders out there. Uh, they're maybe not being uh, fed as mm -hmm. much as we would we as leaders would want to be. Uh, I say that be, for this. If you identify somebody as being a leader, do not feel that you are inhibited. Don't feel like you have to step completely back. Do not feel like I can't let them get a leg up, but rather bring them alongside you so that you can push them to be better, catch them when they start to fall, mm -hmm. and we will continue to replicate ourselves over and over, which will continue the cycle of who we are. I, I kind of shied away from answering, answering directly to it, but I think we got the point. You, you got the point. No, it was very well said because there are still a lot of strength and, uh, and a lot of good things, and there are good leaders today. There is no question about that. We need more. And with the times that we're living in right now, we need ones with what I would call super spiritual <laughs> resiliency. What are some ways before we close out that somebody can become more spiritually resilient? What can they do in their lives? You have to identify where you're weak at. Uh, we all have strong stuff. Oh, we, we all have strong aspects, and we like to, to harp on those. I think you have to identify where your weakest points are and fortify those. Uh, my, my spouse, I will tell you right now, my wife, Lena, is absolutely 100% a prayer warrior. Like, she, she has the most, I, I call them dangerous, but they are amazing prayers, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and the I, I've learned that my tongue is very, very dangerous. And and so I have to watch how and what I say a lot of the times. Um, she is my balance where I am weak. She is strong. And where she is weak, I am strong. Right. So I have found that perfect counterbalance to who I am as an individual. That's one of the biggest and best places I find resilience is because I have gravitated and held on to who God sent me as my spouse right? And I'm not afraid to say the strongest Christian, and, and I say this because Billy Graham was also well known for saying this. Uh, somebody was trying to trip him up with a question. He's, they said, who is the greatest Christian of all time? Thinking that he would say himself. Well, little did they know he, he was smarter than the average bear. Uh, and he looked at them and he said, there is no greater Christian and prayer warrior than my wife. She knows the Bible better than me. She prays it. She's not afraid of it. In that same 
way. My wife is the greatest Christian I have ever known. She prays it. She reads it. She lives it out day after day. I look and aspire to be like her. Now, she knows that the role of the husband is to be that spiritual head of the house. Just sometimes I have to lean on her a little bit more than normal to be able to get through. That's what it means to be one flesh. Mm. That's exactly what you're talking about there is you're talking about that one flesh. None of us uh, <laughs> is all of that and a bag of chips. That's why I often joke around that, hey, every idea I've ever had has been a great idea until I share it with somebody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's You're a great idea wrong. because it because it was mine. There is so much more that we could talk about. Unfortunately, we're at the top of the hour and we're going to have to have you back to dive into some more conversation. And for those of you that have been watching and listening, this is about leadership and leadership goes into every sphere. And the military is probably one of the best places to take a look at for leadership training leadership examples, leadership philosophy, because when we take a look at scripture, when we take a look at the Bible, it mirrors a lot of the things. Uh, Nathan has spent 20 years in the United States Air Force, and he's uh, a, a senior NCO. And for those of you that have been following me for a while, you know that I have extensive military experience as well. And I've trained military leadership for a good number of years, trained new officers for the military for every branch. And, uh, you know, when you take a look at the Bible, you just cannot deny what it says in there. And it applies to business. It applies to arts and entertainment. It applies to every musician that we have out there. And we actually have a comment that I'd like to take before we uh, before we close out tonight. And let's see what we've got here. Hopefully it's uh, uh, and we've got, oh, Artemio. And uh, he's got his uh, thankful hands up. Thank you, Artemio, for watching us this evening, and we hope that the Lord has blessed you. And you know, while we're on the topic of leadership, I'm just going to give it a, bit, a lead into next week's live edition. And yes, our guest will be live again next week, and it's Dr. Richard Blackaby. He is the author of the Experiencing God work, workbook and series, and we're going to talk about how to find the will of God. So as you can see here at Lithos Cry and Raven's Heart, we're more than just about spinning the hits, and we're going to do plenty of that over the next couple of weeks. But there are so many important things that we need to share with you so that you can be equipped to deal with the, the turmoil and the chaos that's going on probably in your own lives right now, and so that you can be used of the Lord to be a leader. If you've been saved, if you've been born again, You've been called to be a leader and called to make disciples. Nathan, before we close out, any parting shots? Hey, to now I know this is mostly pushed to the, the musicians out there and the bands. Let me just tell you right now, your mission is so great. And your words fall onto the hearts of individuals day in and day out. Do not be afraid if there is one person in the audience, that's one person that needed to hear the message that God gave you for them. Don't be afraid. Don't hold back. Give it everything that you got because only one person can do what you've been given. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you so much for your ministry and what you're doing with the Wartime Leadership Podcast. It is so needed. And we just pray right now in Jesus' name that he continues to bless you 
in your endeavors and provide you with the resources that you need to get the word out through what you're doing and to continue to have conversations. And everybody, we will be back next week with Dr. Richard Blackaby. And until then, peace out and rock on. Lithoscry.com.